And then I call it the Christ. I believe it's a man that believes in the Christ. It's going to be Christian Elkins. Yes, and Washington. Now, but what would separate a person that doesn't believe in the Christ? They're totally different than Jews, like the Watchtower and the Christian Because they believe Jesus is the problem of the But just that he was all in there. Put it right That's different than a Jew who thinks they don't think Jesus is the problem of the Sabbath. Well, he's the one who believes in Jesus. Right. So the, uh, we can call witnesses from the God. And Christian uh, uh, I'm going to use the word Christian in the way that all people say. Maybe they a Christian. Like they believe in Christ. Jesus is more than you would not. You probably say, even though they don't believe in the deity of Christ, okay. they would still be considered part of Christian, though. Alright. Uh, Sister, so, can you disagree with that? No, no, I think, I think that's right. Though most of Christendom would not consider Jehovah's Witnesses to be. Christians. Because they're called. Because they're called, yes. And, and they don't, and because they really don't believe in, in, though they give lip service to it, they don't really believe in salvation by faith. I mean, it is a works-based salvation. They don't believe in, in a, in a, uh, personal relationship with Jesus other than the anointed. The 144,000, those are the ones who have that personal relationship. But the, the rank and file do not have that. Yeah. So I think that would be that would be true. So we're started on both of these? Alright, great. Wow. Do I need to review last time? Yeah, maybe. Alright, yeah, let's start with um, so we looked at the overview of the basic teachings. Um, really tonight we'll look at the significance of nineteen fourteen and the hundred and forty four thousand. I did not get around to developing slides for that. I did uh, research some topics, so I'll try to ad-lib that tonight. Uh, and then tomorrow night we'll cover the theocratic war doctrine. Um, and I didn't make printouts of this, uh, of this presentation, but I will get that and, and print it and make copies for you guys. It'll just be copies of the slides that I have here so that you guys can have that. I didn't get around to writing it all out like I did the other two lessons. But I did want to get that overview written out almost exactly like I would say it, as well as the theocratic war strategy, because I think just a basic understanding of what they teach, uh, in addition to being aware that they will lie to you, I think those are two key things in talking to them, being aware of those, uh, those things. But, and these, the, you know, uh, Tuesday night and tonight is probably a little more um, um, technical uh, in terms of following exactly what they're teaching, and, and it, it would take a pretty in-depth study to get into some of those topics with the Jehovah's Witness. Not 1914, they'll bring that up immediately, but getting into the timing of things like we covered on Tuesday night, it would take a fairly in-depth study before they would get into the, to all of those things. But the 1914 and 144,000 are probably going to come up fairly early on if you, if you study with one. So we're going to look, that, uh, look at that tonight, the significance of 1914. That is, uh, uh, Pat was telling me before we got started that he went uh, and, and visited um, at, at a kingdom hall and that they really indoctrinated their children, that they brought up 1914 a good bit. And that's really, they will indoctrinate their children on that. And 1914 is a very significant and important date uh, to them. Another thing that I want to say one of the earlier classes that they did in their assembly, you mentioned it. They train each other on how to do personal work, which is something we've probably all been more of. And I was just wondering, saying, can they have a person go up there and pretend to be the person they're going to try to convert? You know, they're sitting around a table and they, I guess it would be a planned conversation, maybe it's scripted, but you know, so we have a guy who was there trying to convert, say something, maybe an objection, and then, and then you have the witness, uh, uh, answering the objection and talking to them like they're trying to convert, and mm-hmm. the audience looks so on. So it's kind of like a, wow. Believe it or not, I've done that here at Eastside in, in a Bible class, not you know in, in an assembly, but I've done that. Um, I don't know that I've done it in the building, but in personal Bible classes, we've we've done those kinds of things. That is, you're right. I haven't done it in a long, long time. So that is, I mean, not you know, not exactly how they would do it, but yeah, that is something we could probably should practice. Um, 
uh, a little more good good thought. But yeah, they do train them on persuasive speaking and how to how to convert others. That is correct. So again, uh, probably a review of this would be good. Um, the timing, I think I've, I wrote out everything you'll need to know in the handout I gave you, so use that for reference and uh, the chart. But here is some key dates in the captivity. Just remember that the captivity lasts for 70 years, right? For 70 years from 606 up until 536. That's the period of time that it covers. Uh, and that's the 70 years of Daniel 9 as well as the 70 years of Jeremiah uh, 25, verses 8 through 14. That's where that, that was um, prophesied as to how long the, the captivity would last. Um, Daniel was taken with the first group in 606, served in the king's court. Um, and then Ezekiel was taken with a second group of captives in 597. Uh, and then Zedekiah was taken with that last group of captives, uh, and that was when Jerusalem fell in 586. And let's look at, um, the reason I want to look at that, but let's look at 2 Kings 25, uh, verses 1 through 10. And it's not so much, um, you know, it's not so much that, that there's a lot that we can grab a hold of there in terms of, uh, we're not going to see numbers like 606, 586. We're not going to see those numbers. But just to give you an idea of where these numbers come from, Second uh, Kings 25, verses 1 through 10. And it came to pass in the ninth year of his reign, in the tenth month, in the tenth day of the month, that Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came. So you see verse 1 sets the date, right? Okay, so that is the ninth year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign. Um, and the city was besieged unto the eleventh year, I'm sorry, the ninth year of, of Zedekiah's reign, and the city was besieged unto the eleventh year of King Zedekiah. And on the ninth day of the fourth month, the famine prevailed in the city, and there was no bread for the people of the land. So, um, you'll see how specific that the Bible is getting into which year it was in the reign of which king. And the archaeologists um, and historians have been quite able to narrow that down to an exact date. And everybody says 586 or 587. One or the other are those two dates that are given for that. And they use these passages. And 588 is when the city was besieged in you know, the ninth year up until the eleventh year. The eleventh year is when, you know, basically the way they would besiege a city, right, is just surround it cut off all the supplies, it, it, no one leaves, no one goes in, right? And then eventually, you know, people, yeah, start to death. And then, you know, once, you know, once it's been weakened, then you, you go in and, and destroy it. And that's what they did, destroyed the walls and burned the entire city to the ground, completely destroyed Jerusalem, uh, took Zedekiah, and uh, verse 7, and they slew the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes, and put out the eyes of Zedekiah and bound him with fetters of brass and carried him to Babylon. So that's when Zedekiah was taken captive, the same time that uh, uh, Jerusalem fell. Um, let's see, and in the fifth month, on the seventh day of the month, that's verse 8, which is the 19th year of King Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came Nebuzaradan, captain of the guard, servant of the king of Babylon unto Jerusalem, and he burnt the house of the Lord and the king's house and all the houses of Jerusalem and every great man's house he burnt with fire and all the army of the Chaldees that were with the captain of the guard break down the walls of Jerusalem round about. So I wanted to point out there exactly what happened. That's when Jerusalem was was uh, destroyed. And that's making it clear. Burn it down, burn down the house of the Lord, burn down all the big houses, tore the walls down and the timing. So it's set forth very, very clearly there uh, in, in the text. Um, that, is, that was the main point I wanted to make there. So keep that in mind. All right, so the significance of 1914, Jesus is supposed to have returned invisibly in 1914. We did cover that last time. Um, now, one thing, let's look at, I said note the New World Translation. And I've brought this point up before, but just to kind of uh, bring it up. How can they say Jesus returned in, invisibly? Um, and it's where they, they render that word parousia, 
they render it presence in their own translation. And just a quick reading of Matthew 24 and verse 3. While he was sitting upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples approached him privately saying, Tell us when will these things be and what will be the sign of your presence and of the conclusion of the system of things. And, uh, you know, your translation probably in that last part reads a little bit differently. Um, like, uh, what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? That's what it says instead of uh, um, uh, your presence and the conclusion of the system of things. Um, and so they, regardless of the English word, and presence isn't necessarily a bad translation of parousia. I do want to make that clear. Uh, it isn't necessarily a bad translation of that word. Um, now, coming. Mm-hmm. The word that's translated coming, is, the Greek behind that is parousia. That's right, parousia. Um, that's the Greek behind that word. Um, and it, it depends on the context. And in the, the more reliable translations, sometimes it's rendered coming and sometimes it's rendered present. Uh, it just kind of depends on, on what's going on around it. Um, every other translation in this context, Matthew 24, uh, renders it coming. Okay? Except for the New World Translation and I believe it is Young's Literal Bible are the only two translations that, that render that word presence in this context. So, uh, but again, it, it, that's, I don't want to give you the idea that, that presence is always a bad translation of, of parousia because that's, not, that's certainly not true, but it, they're the only ones who saw fit to do it this way in, in this passage anyway. But to get the thing that they're saying, this is what the point I don't want to be missed in all this babbling about that word uh, in 1914, Invisibly, that word, invisibly, okay? He returned invisibly in 1914. Just a brief look at Matthew 24, and we won't read that out loud, but I'll give you some time to to scan it, and you're probably somewhat familiar with that text anyway. Just a real quick um, scanning of it, and and just give you a, a few seconds to scan that, and then let me ask this question. Yeah, starting at verse 3, and really the whole chapter of Matthew 24, just kind of scan that um, and, and get the idea of what's going on, what he's talking about. And then, and then I'd like to ask this question. However the word parousia should be translated in that text, however that should be, is it in reference to something that's going to be silent? Not in that text, is it? Not in that. It's not going to be silent, is it? You're going to know, right, when when this parousia happens, when the coming is, you're going to know. Now, again, I believe Matthew 24, and most brethren believe that the bulk of Matthew 24 is talking about the destruction of Jerusalem that happened in AD 70, uh, at least up through verse uh, 35. Um, You know, is about the destruction of Jerusalem. That's what I believe. And then in verse 36, you'll notice Matthew 24, 36, concerning that day and hour, nobody knows, neither the angels, uh, neither the angels of the heavens nor the Son, but the Father only. So I believe 36, there's a shift there in in verse 36. Mm -hmm. It's always important to note that in verse 3, there's two questions being asked. Exactly, exactly. Exactly. We'll have to keep that in mind if we have context of how we'll answer. Exactly. 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 He's probably going to get to this, but add one thing to say that you wouldn't be in this law, because you'll think the permanent same way as having done it. That's the same go down. Yeah, that's correct. That's correct. I'm not sure you'll get to it. You're going to tell us how to come up with 9.4. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, we'll get to Daniel 4. I think that's about the next slide. When you said Daniel led up to 70 years, uh, I'm a little confused. I know the 70 weeks at the end of the chapter, which is 490 years, right? I, I could be wrong. Uh, Daniel 9, let me look at that real quick, just to be sure that, that, I'm, that I'm saying correctly. The 70 weeks. But that, that's correct. That's correct. That's, that's correct. I believe you are exactly right on that. Uh, but I believe at the beginning of the chapter, uh, 
Daniel is reading Jeremiah's prophecy of the 70 years. Okay. Yeah, that, that's what... Yeah, exactly. And is that at the beginning of Daniel 9? Let me verify that since it's on tape. Uh, but yes, that, that's... Uh, okay, yeah, that's what I was referring to when I said 70 years, not the... Not the 70 weeks, the 69, and then, you know, Messiah be cut off, and then one week after that. That's not what I was referencing, no, no. But, yeah, I'm glad you brought that up for clarity's sake, because if you were thinking it, someone else probably uh, was as well. But the 70 years in Daniel chapter 9 uh, and verse um, verse 2 it is, right? Yes, yes. So that's what I had in mind. I'm glad you, you made me clarify that. Good. And that, that is the same 70 years of Jeremiah 25, verses 8, uh, 8 through 14. Mm-hmm. Because Daniel was reading that, that yeah. place and, and realized, hey, it's time to go home. That's an exciting time to me, an exciting story. Um, so if you look at Luke 21, 24, you'll see a, a reference of the times of the Gentiles. Now, they, the Watchtower teaches that this 1914, this... Parousia that Jesus prophesied in, in Matthew 24, um, that is the date when the times of the Gentiles ended. Okay? Um, that's, that's the same date. And, and it's worth probably looking at Luke 21 um, just to see that phrase. And the reason that, that I think it's probably worth looking at there is uh, Luke 21. Because it, it's really it's a pretty big leap they take. Um, Luke 21, um, you know, it's a, a very similar context there. Um, if you back up to, say, um, uh, verse 18, um, uh, verse 20, And when you shall see Jerusalem uh, compassed with armies, then know that the desolation thereof is nigh. Then let them which are in Judea flee to the mountains, and let them which are in the midst of it depart out. And let not them that are in the countries enter there too. Uh, for these be the days of vengeance, that all things which are written may be fulfilled. But woe to them who are with child, and to them who uh, and to them that give suck in those days. For there shall be great distress in the land, and wrath upon this people. And they shall fall by the edge of the sword, and shall be led away captive into all nations. And Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. Um, and they're suggesting that that what is meant by this is that you know that destruction that happened there uh, in Jerusalem, and Jerusalem was going to be trodden down by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. Well, the times of the Gentiles were fulfilled in 1914 when Jesus came not to restore physical Jerusalem, but to set up His heavenly kingdom in heaven. And he's going to rule there in heaven. Remember, there, Jesus is ruling in heaven with the anointed ones uh, since, since really 19, 1918. He's, he's ruling with the, his anointed ones in heaven. And so the times of the Gentiles were fulfilled then because Jerusalem was restored, but it is heavenly Jerusalem. So that's the approach they take, and that's how Luke 21 fits into that. And then Jesus became king of God's heavenly kingdom. Mm-hmm. Okay, not to get confused. I don't think the Jehovah's Witnesses would suggest there was a plan A, plan B. So that would be one of the key differences between mainstream premillennialism and watchtower premillennialism. Yeah, yeah. So that what you're thinking about is mainstream premillennialism. We had the plan A. The, but the Jews rejected Jesus. That was not foreseen. That was not, you know, that was not prophesied. And, and so they set up the God set up the church as a, a stopgap. So that's mainstream premillennialism. I don't think that idea fits into Watchtower premillennialism. Yeah. And they're not Calvinists at all. That's correct. That is correct. All right. So why 1914? So he was 90% sure that I would get to this. Why 1914? So they use uh, the prophecy in Daniel 4 to support this date. So it's worth reading Daniel 4. I don't want to read it uh, all aloud because it's such a long chapter. But 
Um, take a little bit of time and just kind of look over Daniel 4. Um, and, and when you start reading Daniel 4, it, you'll go, oh yeah, I remember that story. I know that's what will happen uh, when you start reading Daniel 4. But um, the gist of it is Nebuchadnezzar has a dream and he's looking for an interpreter. Uh, that's the gist of verses 1 through 7. So you could really begin in verse um, uh, verse 8 would be the best place to start. So what's Nebuchadnezzar's dream about? The, the main part of the dream. Something about a tree. A tree, right? Yeah, a tree that grew how big? All the way up to the heavens, right? And then, uh, and you know, basically everything took shade and shelter under this tree. And then what happened to the tree? It was cut down, right? Completely down? The stump and his roots, okay. Um, and how long would he stay down like that? Yes, seven times. Okay. Seven times, yeah. So we'll get to how the Jehovah's Witnesses do that. But seven times, I take that to mean a complete period of time. And I think that the context bears that out absolutely here because it was going to be, because, well, let's look at the interpretation and you'll see. So the interpretation begins in verse 19 and goes through verse 27. Ding, 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 ding. Yes, 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 yes. And uh, they're making the idols called Jerusalem. Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> You're exactly right. You're exactly right. I don't know of anybody else that applies this to Jerusalem. But their, their take on this is it's a prophecy about Nebuchadnezzar um, that has a, you know, and, and this is true. They, they, they apply this truth. That there are times in the Bible where you read an Old Testament prophecy that has an immediate application and an immediate fulfillment, but it also has a greater, farther-looking spiritual fulfillment. You see that time and time again in the Old Testament. They're saying this is one of those. It had an immediate fulfillment with Nebuchadnezzar, but it had a greater, farther fulfillment with Jerusalem and Jesus setting up his kingdom. Yes. So you're exactly right. There's, I don't know of anyone else who interprets this with reference to the restoration of Jerusalem. I, I don't I have not read anyone else that would have that take on this prophecy. Is it some other message that you uh say it has that second meaning? No, it's just the watchtower says that it does. Yeah. That's the best I was able to tell. Just the watchtower says that it does. Uh, that settles it for in their minds, that settles it. Yes it does. Yes, it does, and that's why I like the first lessons of utmost importance, where that when you begin, you have to establish. I mean, if you can establish that the Watchtower is not God's organization, then then really you can start working on things like these. And if you've established that the Watchtower is not God's organization, and you take them to this passage and read it, you know now they will have always heard of this with the Watchtower take on it. But once they read it without the Watchtower take, you see, then the light can come on. But as long as they are committed that the watchtower, it, it doesn't, it, that settles it, right? Uh, did Russell or Russell come up with the teaching? I'm not sure where this one originated. I, I, I'm really not. I would guess that it was Rutherford or later uh, because it's dealing with 1914. And I believe Russell died in 1916. So, I believe, and Russell... Uh, expected the world to end in 1914. That was Russell's clear expectation of of the timing of things. So, um, so I, I I don't know for sure. I would have to to, to do a double check on that. So I, I do. I need to double check a, a couple things. So I'll get that done tonight. Uh, I'll, I'll double check on that, uh, particularly the date of his death, because I. I was told that the history would not be terribly important in this class, so I didn't, you know, spend a lot of time learning that. So the tree represented whom? Yeah, his kingdom, right? And then when it was cut down, it, this is why I, I, you mentioned the seven times, how long a period of time was that. I think this is a case where seven times just represents a complete amount of time. 
Because if you look at the close of verse 23, um, uh, till seven times pass over him, verse 24 says, this is the interpretation, O king, uh, and so forth. Um, and then notice the close of verse uh, uh, 26. You see the close of verse 26, he's telling how long this is going to last. Uh, thy kingdom, uh, no, that's not the one I'm looking for. Uh, 25. Mm-hmm. Yes, the close of verse 25. You'll see the timing there. Till thou know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men and giveth it to whomsoever he will. So that's why I would suggest that this seven times isn't meant to specify a specific period of seven years, seven days, seven weeks, you know, seven times. It, it is meant to say until Nebuchadnezzar, you completely understand that God rules. That's, you know, that's how long that, that this tree would be cut off. But the fact that the stump and the roots were left indicates that your kingdom is yours when you come to this realization and you can come back to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like you establish who is this person, who is the tree, mm-hmm. does it seven times a year? Yeah. yeah, it does. And then if you look at verse 28, I intentionally didn't have you read that. Verse 28, when was this fulfilled? All this came upon the king Nebuchadnezzar. You see that? Mm-hmm. Not that, not that I was able to come across. Exactly, exactly, mm-hmm. exactly, exactly. It's because a lot of times it's even in both places. There's there's an indication that it is. That is not only immediate, but it is, uh, but it is looking forward to God's spiritual kingdom. Yeah. And and this is just now. This is a picky detail. I guess 360 years was the normal way of doing the Bible prophecy. The, Instead of 365, right? The only t- the, where they get that is 12 30-day months. It's 360 days. Now the only place that I've seen that used is in premillennial interpretations of prophecies. I have not seen that used elsewhere. Jehovah's Witnesses use it here. Uh, the mainstream premillennialists use it in the 70 weeks of Daniel 9 um, to, to, to count forth exactly, you know, and they try to nail down the exact times of that. And, and I don't think that they're, that they're able to do that um, for a number of reasons. I was wondering what the calendar we have a Julian calendar there. Mm-hmm. And the Roman calendar, though, I think that at least 364 days in it. Yeah. I wonder how far back Joseph's calendar only has 360 days in it. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I, I, I would think it would be about yeah. a year ago. And, and, and perhaps the, 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 and maybe someone would know more about the Jewish calendar than I do. Does it, now, I, I believe they do elite month every, uh, 11 years or so, or six years, every six years. Yeah, that could be. Bob, if Bob were here, he'd be able to answer that question right away. So I'm sorry, I, I don't know. But again, the only time I have ever seen it used, and even in studying premillennialism with Bob years ago, I mean, there was no real good answer as to why. Why would you arbitrarily pick a 360-day year? Um, and the answer is, well, 12, 30-day months. So, yeah. So there's a lot wrong with why 1914. A lot wrong with it. Um, so, and this is one of those where that, you know, if you can get them to look at these things with you, this might be a place where you can say, see, the Watchtower is clearly wrong about this. They're clear. What else could they be wrong about? But they're clearly wrong about this. Um, the date 586, 587. I mean, pick up an encyclopedia and you can show them that day. When did Jerusalem fall to Babylon? You can show them that day. I mean, I looked at a few sources, but, you know, the, the old encyclopedia, the ISBE, and Wikipedia, those were the three sources I cited, and, and Bob's book as well on the captivity, all of those sites. 586, 587 were the, the two dates. 86, 87, I can live with, right? But not the date they choose. So they apply the cutting down the tree to the fall of Jerusalem. And they say it does apply to Nebuchadnezzar, but, you know, uh, more applies to 
the fall of Jerusalem. Then they make that would be the 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 I think the fall of Jerusalem in eighty. I mean the the fall of Jerusalem uh, in Nebuchadnezzar's day. That's right. So the the time of the Gentiles actually started in you know at this time. I guess I don't really know. That's when the times of the Gentiles stopped. I'm not sure. Maybe it did start in 70 AD. Maybe, maybe, maybe they think it started here. I'm not exactly sure. So they make the seven times refer to seven 360-day years. So you can you can do the math. If you take seven times 360, you'll get 2,520 days. And then they say each prophetic day is a year which gives 2,520 years. So the 2,520 years is counted from the fall of Jerusalem, and that is not the 8070 fall, but the fall of Jerusalem to Babylon. Okay? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and that, I thought so. I thought so. That's where they apply this. Um, so I don't, I don't know if they would take Luke 21, 24, which in my mind clearly applies to 8070, and apply it back to here. I'm not sure exactly what their take would be on Luke 21-24. And that ends up 19-14. But let's do some math. Subtract 25-20 from 19-14. What do you get? 606-607. Yeah. But you get that. You can trust me on that if you want. I did use a calculator to come up with this 606 and then... Maybe, you know, the, the, the zero year, yeah, the zero year, 607 um, B.C. So, yeah, you subtract that, you get 607. Okay. And the watchtower insists that the fall of Jerusalem at the hand of Babylon happened in 607. When did it really happen? Do you remember? Yeah, 586. Okay. They insist that it happened in 607. Nobody else uses that date. I don't want to tell you Nobody else uses that date. That is the Watchtower's arbitrary. The, I guess it's the, their archaeologists are as good as their Greek scholars. This is the best I can come up with. Why in 1950 when this happened, why did they just say Look, we were wrong about all that. Really, that's not a that would give them 20 years. 20, yes. 20, yes, it would. It would. It gives us 19.5. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. That's a, that's a good question. But, but I bring this up because if you're studying with one, I mean, right now we just see the, the cracks in the foundation of, of this. This is so fundamental to them, how they drill 1914. But when you look at how did they come up with that date, it's flawed all the way around. They take a prophecy that doesn't even apply to Jerusalem and apply it to Jerusalem. They use the wrong date, consult any archaeologist, and they'll tell you it's 586. So they count a misapplied prophecy, use a little bit of ingenuity to get 360-day years, which is not uncommon among premillennialists. And then they will... um, you know, and then they, they add it from the wrong date. So this is, I think this is a key point to look at, and, and you can, you, it, the Watchtower is clearly wrong about how the Bible relates to 1914, and his coming was not silent, Matthew 24. That, that was not a silent event, was it? So, you know, so many things are wrong about their position on 1914. What you're saying is you're going to make all the I have no plans of doing that. This morning, Bob was reading a plan like how are you going to take down a tree, like eliminate a tree? the roots. Yeah. So you're telling us that that's the root of the tree. I think this is this is one where that we're still trying to attack the roots because all I would come out with this is. Do you, do you see that the Watchtower could be wrong about this? If you can get them to accept the Watchtower could be wrong about this, then you can go on to what else could the Watchtower be wrong about. Right? And, and if they're wrong about things, can they really be God's 
chosen mouthpiece. Are they are they really a prophetic organization? That's what. So I don't think this is necessarily the root of it, but I think this is you know this is you can show a symptom of the fact that they are not prophets. Yeah. I think that's that's what. So I think this is something that could be a useful tool for for someone who. Um, and and again, I, in the research I did, I was not able to find any evidence for 606 or 607 anywhere. I was just not able to find that uh, anywhere. Um, so that's exclusive to them. That is exclusive to them. There's no other archaeologist or secular historic source. And secular history documents those dates, and there's no other source for that. Yes, you can go to watchtower.org and get their explanation of 1914. Yes, you can, and they will cite 607 as that date. Yes. It's almost as if they wanted to start with 1914 and they kind of back to 607 and insisted that that's the date. That's almost, yeah, that's almost true. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's fortunate that it doesn't make sense, right? Because someone who's honestly seeking will see that it doesn't make sense. So I think that is fortunate. Yeah. And I think that's where we would go is this last question. If the watchtower is wrong about this date, what else could they be wrong about? Well, I think possibly come back and say, well, we're the prophetic one. We know what Jerusalem yeah, that is that is the, that is certainly the case, and it gets back to that circular reasoning that I, that I talked about. So you're exactly right. The archaeologists are wrong. God did not reveal anywhere that five, and that's true. That the Bible doesn't say anywhere that it was. But by giving the exact dates of those kings, you know, we're able to tell. You know, I say we as you know people who study history are, are able to tell. Um, so that would be something they would say, is that you know God God revealed that to the Watchtower, not to you know not not to exactly exactly yeah yes and that and now you're reasoning like like uh, one, yeah. <laughs> uh, but but that, no, that's kind of like if we were practicing that would be you know you know you, you were in the role of a Jehovah's Witness that would be the the thing that would be said. Yeah. Yes. And, and again, this slide is just, I guess I got ahead of myself, but, you know, but notice some things that are not mentioned. So we know this question, right? It's a prophecy about Nebuchadnezzar and when he went insane, right? Okay. And I have one, but it has been, okay, there it is. So, um, where does Daniel 4 mention the times of the Gentiles? When you read that, it's just not in there. The only place that's really mentioned is Luke 21-24. And there's a lot of people who debate over what that means. So, um, And where is the tree of Daniel 4 applied to Jerusalem? Other than watchtower documents. No, nowhere. Nowhere. Okay. And when was this prophecy fulfilled? And I think Daniel 4-28 tells us that, doesn't it? Especially saying all these things. I mean, maybe I'm reading too much into that all, so I won't put too much into that. But, but I don't know. So here's another thing you can perhaps do with a Jehovah's Witness, and I think it's important to read. Deuteronomy 28 is a good one to, I'm sorry, Deuteronomy 18 is a good one to read. And that's the context of, uh, you know, Moses prophesying of, the prophet who will come like me. But it's just after that, Moses tells them how to identify a false prophet. So if you look at Deuteronomy 18, verses 20 through 22, and it, it reads similarly, there's not a, a significant change in the, in the New World Translation. Uh, but the prophet which shall presume to speak a word in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or that shall speak in the name of other gods, even that prophet shall die. And if thou say in thine heart, How shall we know the word which the Lord hath not spoken? When a prophet speaketh in the name of the Lord, if the thing follow not, nor come to pass, that is the thing which the Lord hath not spoken. But the prophet hath spoken it presumptuously, thou shalt be afraid of him. 
Now, and um, there's another place in the exact, it's in Deuteronomy, but the exact chapter verse has gone from me, um, where that, you know, he gives other instructions and says, look, if the prophet prophesies and it does come true, and then the prophet says, let's go follow other gods, kill him. Yeah. <laughs> Stone that prophet, right? But one thing you know for sure is that if he tells you something's going to happen, and it doesn't follow not, if he says, I'm prophesying in the name of Jehovah, and this is going to happen, and it doesn't happen, then that's not what God has said. And, and so that, I think this is a key verse to read uh, to a Jehovah's Witness. And then you can take them and show them this. I, I referenced this website, www.bible.ca. Uh, that URL will take you to a page that's several pages long, just listing Watchtower Prophecies, and then their clear failure. Watchtower Prophecy, clear failure. Watchtower Prophecy. And I've summarized a few of them here. A very few of them. This was pages and pages and pages. And you can go just about anywhere and find. Now, one thing to be aware of... You know Steve Rudd? Okay. Okay. All right. Be aware that the average rank-and-file Jehovah's Witness does not know this. They do not know um, because they're forbidden from reading anti-Jehovah's Witness material. That's forbidden. They cannot read that. If you're going to be a Jehovah's Witness, you cannot read any anti-Jehovah's Witness writings. That's, they will not let you do that. They're encouraged to read the Watchtower instead of the Bible. So Now, the more mature Jehovah's Witnesses are going to be aware of some of these things and have somehow explained them away in their mind, or I'm not sure exactly... You know, or maybe it's just so ingrained in them. I mean, if you're, it's hard to break what you're born and raised from. I can, I can testify to that, and so can you. It's, it's difficult to break from that, and not everybody's willing to do that. You, I can, I can testify to that as well as you guys can. So, um, so that that could be part of the mindset there as well, um, even when they see these things. But when you combine. Deuteronomy 18, particularly verses 21 and 22, with this, the Watchtower predicted that the world would end in 1914, uh, uh, and it was reiterated again and again in 1894. Um, Can I ask you a sure. What is the definition of the end of the world? Armageddon. Armageddon. So when I say end, that's a good question. So. When I say the world would end, I'm saying they believe Armageddon would happen. So that's, I'm a little vague on that. But that's when the final revelation of the king would be that battle of Armageddon and the, the final revelation of the king, which, um, you know, which, so that probably end of the world isn't the best language there. Yeah, exactly. Just prior to that thousand year reign. Because Jehovah's Witnesses technically do not believe that the world will ever end. The earth stays here forever. So, yeah, I, I probably chose bad words on that slide. So, good good point. Good point, man. I guess the world is Right. Yeah, the, the end of the system of things is how they phrase that. And you heard that in the New World Translation that I read of Matthew 24 and verse 3. And that comes up repeatedly in their writings as well, the end of the system of things. In their verse, when we read that, they were on 18. Mm-hmm. You want me to read that? I don't know exactly how it reads. But yeah, there are a number of times when you can take a Jehovah's Witness and you can say, now I want you to read this verse in your Bible. You know, and uh, yeah, Deuteronomy 18, and this is from the New World Translation. However, the prophet who presumes to speak in my name, a word that I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that prophet must die. And in case you should say in your heart, how shall we know the word that... Uh, Jehovah has not spoken. When the prophet speaks in the name of Jehovah and the, word, and the word does not occur or come true, that is the word that Jehovah did not speak. With presumptuousness, the prophet spoke it. You must not get frightful or frightened at him. So that's a very similar reading to how ours reads. The, the, the overall idea has not changed. Yes, yeah, so that'd be one where you can take it. Now I want you to read this in your Bible because there's a number of places where you can do that. And any time you can do that, it's going to be more effective. Read your Bible and then and then answer this question. Because they will already have in the back of their mind that your Bible is flawed. 
you know, the New World Translation is a better way to put it, you know. So, yeah, that's, that's good. So again, just a number of examples here. I, I, I'm going to print these slides in, you know, in black and white so you can have them, but this website, um, uh, and you've, you've used that website, I'm sure. I, I, most brethren, or many brethren have used it, and, it, and it's a good resource. Um, and he's done a lot of work to put those together. But the key thing is, during this time, the Watchtower uh, actually believed that Jesus silently came back in 1874. So I don't know exactly what their doctrines taught about, you know, the 2,520 years and so forth. But they believed he came back silently in 18. Uh, 74, and you would have some information about they. Well, the Millerites thought because they were in 1874. Yeah. And both the Watchtower folks and the Pentecostals came from that movement, mm-hmm. I guess. Mm-hmm. Or at least we're in the Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and and uh, that was Russell's doing. Russell changed that, uh, and that would have been during his time. And, and Russell changed that to say it wasn't going to end in 74, but he came silently in 1874, but it will end. Armageddon will happen in 1914. That would have been Russell's belief right, up until 1914 happened. His belief was that the world was going to end in uh, 1914. Uh, then they changed their position. Since 1914 came, 1915 came, you know, wait a minute. So the world didn't end in 1914. Really, it was the end of the times of the Gentiles. So we, we were just mistaken a little bit. It was the end of the times of the Gentiles, Luke 21, 24, that happened in 1914. The real end is going to be in 1925. Then in 1926 in their magazines, now they were very emphatic. And the, the website there points out some very clear uh, examples where they said the world would end in 1925. But notice how they uh, phrase that. People only imagined that that we said the end would be in... in They went too far with what we said. We didn't really say it would be the end in 1925. The end's really going to be in 1975. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of room to work with. They had 50 years to work with. Um, and then in 1975, in the year 1975, they published a, uh, in a Watchtower magazine dated 1975. Now, again, they go back and change these, so you have to have the originals uh, to, to, to put this all together or, or have access to photocopies of the originals because they do go back and change that. And, um, but in 1975, they're quoted as saying, well... This is in that year that the end's supposed to come. Now, we may have missed it by a few weeks or a few months, but not years. Within a few weeks or a few months of the end of 1975, Armageddon's going to happen. Then, well, that didn't happen. (laughs) So then they're going to say, well, the generation that saw the events of 1914, right? Jesus' words that, that, you know, uh, there are some here who will in no wise taste death. So the, those, the generation that saw the events of 1914, they're going to see Armageddon. Okay? Then finally in 1995, they admit, huh, when all those folks who were in 1914 have, have been dying off, now they're going to admit, well, we don't know when the end's going to be. It's just going to be soon. So. Yeah. Yeah. And they, yeah, so... But I, I'll believe that when I see it, you know, that they're going to stop predicting the end of time, the, the Armageddon. Yeah. The typical guy knocking on your door is not going to know that. Yeah. Not going to not going to know this at all. Um, you know, the, those who have been reading their watchtower as they should may or may not have noticed the change in 1995. Um, that's their own publication, but it was a, a very subtle place where that change was. So it was like in the, you know, at the very beginning of the magazine, kind of like the subtitle of the magazine, you know, and I forget the exact wording. I would have had to, I would have to look that up. 
but it was it was in something that appeared in every single issue. You know, and when you look at something and you make a slight change to it, your eye doesn't always catch it. So there probably were a lot of folks who didn't even catch that. And they're sure not going to advertise it to one another. And if you're forbidden from reading anti-Jehovah's Witness documents, good chance you're not going to know it, right? So, so that would include like a daily paper. Um, but is that going to make the daily paper? Yeah. You think? I don't know. Maybe if you read the religion section. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Now those, yeah, those dates perhaps. That's a bit before my time. Yeah. Revelation 
uh, chapter 7, Revelation 7. Now keep in mind, and there was a question that came up last evening, I'm sorry, Tuesday evening, that is, I probably was a bit misunderstood about, or I was, I had a misunderstanding, so I'm sure I did not answer correctly. I'm not exactly sure the specific question or how I answered exactly. But the gist of it is, um, who are these anointed? Who are the 144,000 and so forth? Current watchtower uh, position is that the 144,000 was completely filled in 1935. There's no scripture for that. That was just revealed to the watchtower. That, you know, that, yeah, 1935, that's it. That was, uh, no, no, no. They, they do keep those records, though. They do keep those records, and... Uh, so it was full, that 144,000 was full up in 1935. Uh, so, and again, no, no, uh, the only place they came from was special revelation to the watchtower directly that that happened. Uh, so that, that does create some problems for them. Uh, 1935, remember the, the 144,000 are special. They've been proven. They're, you know, they're, they're special Christians. So when you think in 1935, so if you were born in 1935, you're getting aged by now, right? You're, you're you know, you're, you're 70 years old, 73, 72 years old right now. So to really have been, let's say you were 35 then, right? Or, I mean, we could even say 20. Let's say you were 20 then, but that's awfully young to be proven and so forth, like the 144,000, the anointed have to be. So even at 20, those folks are 90 to 92, right, e- even now. So that, that is a special, and it'll be interesting to see how they deal with that. But they're going to have to deal with that, I mean, because they continue to offer the communion. Um, and I looked, and the last number I saw was in 2004, where the, there, were, um, there were around, oh, I, it was in the thousands, though, I want to say around 4,000 or so that, that actually partook. Uh, of, well, it's not 4,000. That was in 2004. So I, by 2007, that may be different. Uh, but there are some who still do. And again, they, you know, they say that I, the time's going to have to come if they hold that position of 1935, right? The time's going to have to come where that becomes zero. Or they're going to have to change their position about when the 144,000 was filled up. Um, so uh, yeah, if one of those two is going to have to change. You're right. To have become part of it. That's right. They could have been part of it in 1935, but they could not have become part of it right since then. So anybody who's partaking needs to be very, needs to be at least. You know, at least 70, right? At least 72 to have been born then, right? So, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. 144,000 globally. Yeah, so where that number comes from, uh, Revelation 7. And I think it's interesting, you can have them read this in their Bible. Um, uh, you know, and you look at Revelation 7 in verse 4. Um, and this is from their Bible, but it's going to read very similarly in yours. And I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 sealed out of every tribe of the sons of Israel. Out of the tribe of Judah, 12,000 sealed. Out of the tribe of Reuben, 12,000. Out of the tribe of Gad, and so forth. It lists not, a, not an exact listing of the tribes of Israel, but it does list the tribes of Israel there. Um, uh, and 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes. Now, here is a very, very fascinating thing. All right, now, the 144,000 Jehovah's Witnesses, are they Jews? No, no, they're not. All right? So, are there literally 12,000 from the tribe of Reuben? And are there, do the Jehovah's Witnesses teach that? How can this 144,000 be literal and these 12,000, though those 12,000 are figurative? So how can 12,000 figurative plus 12,000 figurative plus 12,000 figurative, how can 12,000 figurative times 12 equal 144,000 literal? Do you see that? So that's, that's a, an interesting, 
thing to, to show them, and they would, you know, they would answer that it, that it was not, um, you know, that, that they're, they're, they don't really have a good answer for that. No, they don't. Yeah. They'll have figures, so you can make it sing whatever song yeah. you want. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the 144,000 is literal. Yeah. And then the other important thing there is verse 9. And after these things, I saw and looked a great crowd, which no man was able to number, out of all nations and tribes and peoples and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, dressed in white robes, and there were palm branches in their hands, and they keep on crying with a loud voice, saying, Salvation we owe to our God who is seated on the throne and to the Lamb. All right. So the great crowd in Revelation 7-9, that great crowd is Jehovah's Witnesses. Okay, the 144,000 are the ones who are in heaven. The great crowd are the Jehovah's Witnesses who survive Armageddon and are on the earth. Now read that again and tell me, and this is one you can ask them. Now read in your Bible verses 7, I'm sorry, verses 9 and 10, and let me ask you this question. Where is that great crowd? So let's read that. And after these things I saw and looked a great crowd which no man was able to number out of all nations and tribes and peoples and tongues standing where? Yeah, where was the throne of God? Yeah, you see that? So where is this great crowd? In heaven or on earth? That great crowd's in heaven, isn't it? Yeah. The only other place I know of that a great crowd is mentioned um, is in Revelation 19, and I believe it's verse 3. And verses 1 through 3. Okay. So Revelation, and I'll read this from the New World Translation again. So you, this is one of those, now go to your Bible in Revelation 19 and read, uh, After these things I heard what was a loud voice of a great crowd. Where? Yeah, you see that? Those are the only two places I know of where that, that term is used, great crowd, and so forth. So, so there's a fundamental flaw with their great crowd position that they're the Jehovah's Witnesses on earth. And there's a fundamental flaw with their 144,000 position. It's, re- it's really absurd to think that only 144,000 are, are in heaven. And, you know, when you look at just the, the numbers game, you know, the numbers game, throughout, what, 1,900 years of the, the kingdom of, of the church, of, you know, since Christ, you know, for the better part of 1,900 years, the vast majority of that 144,000 was reserved until, you know, then. What about those in the first century who, and they say that, that, that it began being filled, you know, then. The 144,000 began to be filled then, but has continued to be filled. So, what about those first century Christians who gave their lives and, you know, who were, you know, what about them, you know? So not many of them made the cut, but a whole lot are making the cut, you know, a disproportionate amount in, uh, you know, in 18, the late 1800s up to 1835. So that's what I had on the 144,000 and the great crowd. Um, I didn't do any formal notes on that or anything. Uh, I was planning to, but it turns out I had quite enough material anyway. So tomorrow night we'll cover the theocratic war strategy. There's another one that's Revelation 144,000. Yes, it's Revelation 14. I'm sorry, I didn't turn to that. Yes, yes, that's correct. They aren't exactly really. Yes. They take the first part. Yes. Where is Revelation 14? Yes, it is Revelation 14. Mm-hmm. Revelation 14.1. the Jehovah's Witnesses 144,000 or not I don't know yeah and you know an interesting another interesting thing about the 144,000 is that 
you know, originally the Watchtower doctrines, their teachings were coming from ones who claimed to be anointed. I mean, right now that just cannot be true anymore. You see, because they're too old. Yeah, they'd be too old. Those, and there may be, you know, one or two on the, you know, you know, high-ranking Watchtower members who could claim to be, you see, but there's, I guess there's thousands claiming to be, but you see the problem that they're going to have. I mean, eventually, yeah, there's, there's no more anointed in the Watchtower society. So the great crowd is writing the doctrines for the great crowd. There's no, there's no longer the separation in classes. Um, because, because of the numbers and possibilities with that. So that will be interesting to see how that, you know, how that plays out in the, you know, because it, we're not far at all away from that being physically impossible. Well, that's a change. Yeah. yeah, that's one thing that could happen. I mean, it's just interesting to see how they'll approach that. Will will it be 1935, or will there be, you know, yeah, or will yeah, will there or will there be some changing of, you know, of position on that? I mean, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I say, I mean, they they do bring, you know. In recent years, they've brought in near a billion dollars. So, billion, yeah. Sell, selling, selling uh, Watchtower books. Oh yeah, buy them. Yeah, you buy the books. Yeah, and you and you convince others to buy them. That's that's what I was saying, and when I offhandedly said they're a corrupt billion-dollar organization who has an unpaid sales staff. I mean, where I work. When you look at the co- our cost of doing business, a significant portion of that is our sales force. We have to pay the salaries. We have to market. If you can get someone to do that for free, which is what they've done, yeah, yes, and they have gotten people to go out and sell their product door to door for free. Yeah, that's why I look at them and I say this is a sinister organization. They are evil. The watch that not. Not the rank and file of those witnesses. I think, I think by and large they're deceived and I, and I have sympathy on them and I want yes. to convert them. But at the top it is evil, wicked, sinister and I have no, so you know, no. There's usually a president of the Watchtower Society. Yeah. So I, as far as I know there's always been a president of the Watchtower Society. I, I couldn't tell you who that is. But they do strive very hard to make sure that you know, there, there's relative anonymity of those of those uh, um, high-ranking members, and nobody knows the identities of those who translated this New World Translation. They they have concealed the identity of the translators. It was just a a committee. Well, thank you, thank you guys for your attention.